O oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessed occasion of the gathering of Your people. We thank You for the promise of Your Son that when we gather in His name, He'll be with us. O oh, Father, our desire this day is that Your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, might be greatly exalted among Your people. O oh, Father, protect Your people from error. Give us joy in You and in our Savior. We pray in His name, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Saints, I hope this will be a word of encouragement to you, but for some, it may be a fearful word. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of us should seem to come short of it. Hebrews 4, verse 1. In Psalm 89, verse 14, Ezra the Ethan, the Ezraite, sang of our God and said, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth go before thy face. Justice. Judgment. Please open your Bibles to the book Revelation, chapter 20. Revelation, chapter 20. You know that what we have in the book Revelation is a record of St. John's apocalyptic vision. The beloved apostle stranded on the island of Patmos is given a vision by Almighty God. And there's vivid symbology and many things hard to be understood in this text. But listen, there are many things that are crystal clear. We've all had dreams. Some of us often and some of us not so often. And I've heard psychologists say, Tim, that we dream every night. We just often don't remember them. Well, I I don't know whether that's true or not, but you know that a dream is a kind of vision. It's a visionary experience. It seems almost real. Sometimes it seems real. Sometimes it's as if mental wires get crossed and people or events from the past get fused into our current situation. What does it all mean? Well, why Solomon said, a dream cometh through the multitude of business, Ecclesiastes 5.3. And saints, isn't it our case that it's often through a multitude of busyness? You go to sleep thinking about it, and then you dream about it. If we talked to a Freudian or a Jungian psychologist, we'd probably get vastly different insights into the possible meanings of our dreams. But... St. John's revelatory vision is quite difficult. And fine Christian people have had some very different ways of interpreting it. But, as I mentioned, there are some passages in John's vision that are crystal clear. Regardless of hermeneutical framework, regardless of timeline, regardless of interpretive leaning, crystal clear. So look with me there to verse 11. 
And would you please stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. John the Beloved writes, And I saw a great white throne, and Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He shall dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. Beloved, hear me. When we consider the judgment of God, it should motivate us to godliness. God-likeness, godliness. It should motivate us to godliness as we think of ourselves. And it should motivate us to evangelism as we consider the lost. It is a basic tenet of Christianity that God will judge His people. Brother, sister, listen, you know this. But you may need to be reminded. It is a basic tenet, a first principle of Christianity that God will indeed judge His people. And listen, not only will God judge His people, all those who have come to Him in faith, not only will God judge these, God Almighty will judge all humanity. That is, God will judge every human being who has ever lived upon His earth. God will judge all. He will judge every one. In the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, a confession which we enjoy, in chapter 32, entitled, Of the Last Judgment, the confession says this, listen. 
God hath appointed a day wherein He will judge the world in righteousness by Christ Jesus, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father, in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. The end of God's appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of His mercy in the eternal salvation of His elect and of His justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. And then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast aside into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. As Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment both to deter all men from evil and for the greater consolidation, consolation of the godly in their adversity, so will He have the day unknown to men, that they may shake off all carnal security and be always watchful, for they know not at what hour the Lord will come, and may be ever prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. Amen. In St. John's revelatory vision, we see our God high and exalted, seated upon a throne, a great white throne, seated on that throne, judging, judging, judging. The first, first paragraph that we read there in chapter 32 of the confession indicates that it is our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who is the judge of all men. And certainly, listen, this is the testimony of Holy Scripture. In John chapter 5, verses 21 or 22 and 23, I read, The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him said our Lord. The apostolic writer to the Hebrews teaches, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9, verse 27. Now listen, writing to the saints at, at Rome, the great apostle Paul asks, why dost thou judge thy brother? And why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. And beloved, listen, we could multiply texts 
And our confession of faith lists them out. It lists all the Scripture references, and they are many. But the point is this. It is a basic tenet of Christianity. It is a first principle that God will indeed judge His people. Now, beloved, the topic or subject of God's judgment is rarely popular. All people, all people, including you and me, have a natural aversion to being judged. I do. Don't you? We hear it every day. People say, don't judge me. Or, don't you dare judge me. Don't you dare judge me. Who are you? Or they say, who are you to judge me? Or they say, she is so judgmental. Uh, Have you ever heard these things? Or they repeat a misrepresentation of the words of Jesus and say, it's not ours to judge. Or, you know, we can't pass judgment on anybody. And friend, listen, please, you should know, uh, I trust you do know, that a careful study of Christ's words and teaching will show that Christ warns against harsh judgment. And He warns people against judgmentalism, saying, judge not. That's not our consideration of the morning, but here's a little sermon within the sermon. (laughs) There's such a gross misrepresentation about the words of Jesus abroad today that I must say this. The essence of Christ's teaching on personal judgment, and this is from John 7.24, This is red letters. Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And I want you to note that that last phrase there includes an imperative about judging. In other words, a command to judge. Judge righteous judgment. Did you get that? So Jesus is saying, judge but do it righteously. Not according to the appearance. Do it righteously. So Christ commands to His followers, that is Christians, is to judge righteously and to judge as He does. And how does He judge? Mercifully. Mercifully. Back back to the topic at hand. We all have a natural aversion to judgment and the subject of the judgment of God is not a popular topic. You know, when the great apostle Paul taught about the judgment of God, he didn't have much success. Do you remember when he preached in Athens? It was going okay. They were listening. We want to hear what this fellow has to say. But then he started talking about the resurrection of the dead and the judgment that was to follow that resurrection. And that's when the Athenians interrupted and said, "Ah, just stop this. No more of this. We've heard enough. And later in the book, Acts, Paul stands before the governor of Judea, Marcus Antonius Felix, 
And Paul spoke to this man about the Christian faith. And the Bible says, as he, that is Paul, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. And when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Acts 24, verse 25. Listen, Governor Felix did not want to talk about judgment. He didn't want to talk about it so much that he quickly sent Paul away. And as far as we know from the scriptural record, he never did ask Paul to return. As far as we know. Now, there was a time when people were more impressed with the judgment of God. I've read, I've read that in 18th century America, when the great Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, many of us read it in high school, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I've read that men and women trembled and shook and wept and cried out a lot aloud, God have mercy on me. And many feared and many repented and many came to Christ. The judgment of God is not a popular topic, friend. But it is a most basic tenet of the Christian faith that Almighty God will judge all people. Do you hear me? Judgment is coming. The Belgic Confession of Faith puts it most beautifully. In Article 37 it says this, listen. We believe according to the Word of God when the time appointed by the Lord, which is unknown to all creatures, is come and the number of the elect is complete that our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven corporally and visibly as He ascended with great glory and majesty to declare Himself judge of the quick and the dead. Burning this old world with fire and flame to cleanse it And then men will personally appear before this great judge, both men and women and children that have been from the beginning of the world to the end thereof, being summoned by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the trumpet of God. For all the dead shall be raised out of the earth and their souls joined and united with their proper bodies in which they formerly lived. As for those who shall be living They shall not die as the others, but shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and from corruptible become incorruptible. Then the books, that is to say, the consciences, shall be opened, and the dead judged according to what they shall have done in this world, whether it be good or evil." My brothers and sisters, listen, those are words from the Belgic Confession of Faith, not from the Bible. (laughs) Though most of them are from the Bible. But listen, those words seem, (laughs) those words seem to represent the clear teaching of Holy Scripture, don't they? And here, these words from the Son of God, listen, these are words all in red letters, listen. He said, 
when the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and before Him shall be gathered all nations and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats and He shall set the sheep on His right hand but the goats on His left. Then shall the King say unto them on His right hand, Come ye, Blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came to thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Beloved brothers, listen. Holy sisters, listen. Let me remind you of something you already know. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The New Testament doctrine, the Christian doctrine, that Almighty God in the person of His only begotten Son will judge all humanity. It's an unpopular doctrine, but hear me, brethren. Listen, if we would claim that our faith is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, if we would claim that, then we must acknowledge the doctrine of God's final judgment. That doctrine is foundational. And listen, obviously that doctrine is a stumbling block to the lost. The Athenians didn't want to hear about it, so they interrupted Paul and wouldn't let him continue. Proud Felix didn't like it, so he sent Paul away. I'll talk to you later. I don't want to talk about that now. Maybe some other time. The doctrine of a judging God, listen to me, 
The doctrine of a judging God is a stumbling block to the lost. And listen, even we Christians don't even really like it. Because we don't like to be judged any more than anybody else. But hear me, please. Though, though the doctrine of, or the thought of judgment is often accompanied by dread. Listen, listen, Christian. There's a sense in which this doctrine should be quite comforting to those of us who have allied ourselves with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When I say it should be comforting, that may sound a bit confusing. But consider for a moment. And think with me. Think with me. Listen. Think with me about the possibility of a world with no final judgment. Listen, brethren. If there's no final judgment, then the wicked are right. If there's no final judgment, listen, then there is no ultimate justice. If this life ends at the moment of death, and there is nothing beyond that, oh, then friend, we are left with a picture that is most distressing. Listen, <laughs> if that's the case, then some of those with great wisdom would counsel, let's just get this over with right now. Do you understand that? That counsel, get it over with. Just do yourself in. Listen, that the great 20th century writer, philosopher, and at least sometime atheist, Albert Camus, begins his most interesting essay the myth of Sisyphus with these words. Listen. There is but one truly serious philosophical problem. And that is suicide. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. All the rest... Whether or not the world has three dimensions, whether the mind has nine or twelve categories, comes afterwards. These are games. First, one must answer the question. Uh, it's doubtful that Camus was a Christian, though some think he may have converted. But those are the words of a man who could think fairly deeply. Listen, brethren, <laughs> if the wicked men who engineered the Holocaust are to be reduced to dust in no worse a way than the men that they murdered in the gas chambers, what kind of a world are we living in? If those wicked emperors, if those wicked, wicked, wicked emperors who threw living Christians into pits full of starving lions. If they just get to rot in their graves with no judgment, friend, I can't accept that. If horrific atrocities 
war crimes, rapes and murders and tortures and maimings, if those are not punished, then this whole planet should burn. It should implode right now, friend. There's no ultimate justice. Brethren, listen. If God, our God, Almighty God, God Almighty, if He's not going to set all things right at the end of time, I might as well join the mafia. Or I might as well just die right now. Because listen, this world is filled with wickedness and violence and injustice. Isn't it? And how can you possibly believe that God is in control if justice does not ultimately prevail? Brethren, I tell you, though it's a dreadful doctrine, that is a doctrine to fill one with dread, though it is a dreadful doctrine, there is a comfort for the saint of God in the doctrine of the final judgment of God. Because as I've told you before, ain't nobody getting away with nothing. You see, without the judgment of God, humanity is undone and the whole world makes no sense. Ultimate, final judgment It's the only hope that we have that this world has not just gone crazy and just a runaway train into an abyss of final depravity. Why do you have hope? Because God, God, David, you're so, you're so messed up. What should I do? Hope in God. Hope in God. There is hope. Listen, there is comfort. Listen, there is solace for the saints in the doctrine of the final judgment of God. In Psalm 37, David writes, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass, and wither as the green herb. Skipping down to verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him. 
For he seeth that his day is coming. Beloved, listen, when we think about justice and judgment in our world, we have grounds for hope. Christian, we have grounds for great hope. Beloved, listen, what we're saying is this. The doctrine of the judgment of God, the final judgment of God, is a basic tenet of Christianity. It's an unpopular and dreadful doctrine. A doctrine that inspires dread in believers and unbelievers alike. And it's a doctrine which, when carefully considered, should be an occasion of great comfort to Christians. Because ain't nobody getting away with nothing. Now, we know, we believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we believe that the only way any man, woman, boy, or girl will be safe at the judgment bar of God is if that man, woman, boy, or girl is recognized as one who is redeemed. The only one only way, listen, the only way one can be safe before the judgment bar of God is if he or she has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The curses of the law and the wrath of God abide upon the wicked. But to us, to we who have been redeemed from the curse of the law by the precious blood of Jesus... The proclamation of Holy Scripture concerning us is no condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation. So, Mike, we can sing with the Wesley boys. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Now I want to share a few contrasts between the judgment of God and the judgment of man. And the judgment of God is much better. Just a few contrasts, and then we'll stop. A study of Holy Scripture shows that there is quite a contrast between what happens at the judgment seat of God compared to what happens at the judgment seat of man. And listen, I have no desire to defame human attempts at justice. I don't. Uh, Though I find it pitiful, paltry, inefficient, inaccessible, and expensive... I am really, really glad that we live in a country that's considered by most to be, quote, a nation of laws, unquote. Aren't you? I'm glad that there's more than just the wild, wild west. And who can get it out fastest? Aren't you? I find it that there's, (laughs) I find it amusing that there's so much faith in the human justice system in our country But I must admit, I'm glad there is some attempt 
however feeble, to achieve some measure of justice here on earth. But human justice systems are frail. You know this. We, we hear about it every day. Listen, criminals often walk on technicalities. You heard about this? In the realm of civil justice, it's often been noted, you can have just as much justice as you can afford here in America. And that's the reason why we so often see wrongs go unrighted. It's because we're told it would cost more in legal fees to make it right, more than it's worth. But they stole that much. Yeah, but we'd have to spend this much to get that much back, so just let it go. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It happens all the time, friend. I'm intimately familiar with a situation involving stolen money. Not armed robbery, mind you, more of a white-collar crime. And one of the reasons there's not been a reckoning is that the legal bills incurred to recover the stolen money would probably have been more than the stolen money. And so you just let it go. Let unrighteousness stand? Yeah, all the time, every day. Where? Right here. But hear me, brethren. The judgment of God will have no frailties like that. The judgment of God will have no such frailties. First of all, listen, there will be no defaulting. There will be no default judgments. Do you know what a default judgment is? Are you familiar with that? When a plaintiff files a suit at the law and there's no response, the one sued just says, I'm not even going to respond and tears it up. The judge may render a default judgment. He'll rule for the plaintiff just because the defendant didn't respond. So, well, you win just by default. They didn't show up for the game, so we didn't even play it. You win. But listen, at the divine judgment bar, there will be no defaulting. Men will not decide whether or not to attend. They will be brought to the court by divine fiat. There will be no in absentia judgments. All men will attend. There is no place to hide from the Almighty. Listen, there is no place without an extradition treaty to the kingdom of heaven. None. Hear the scriptures. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the rocks and the mountains, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Revelation 6 verses 15 through 17. Listen, when that great day comes, friend, there will be no hiding, no defaulting. You will be summoned and you will appear. And listen, when that great day comes, there will be no plea bargains. 
You know about plea bargaining? Plea bargaining is that process in which a criminal, which has committed a more grievous crime, negotiates with justice and commits to plead guilty to a less heinous crime in exchange for a lighter sentence. I didn't do that. I just did this. Brothers and sisters, listen, that will not work with Jesus the Christ. The flaming eye of Jesus sees all. The probing mind of Jesus knows all. Our God knows exactly what every human has ever done, said, or even thought. And unless he or she is numbered with the redeemed, everyone will answer to God for their precise deeds. And there will be no plea bargains. Listen, brethren, at the divine judgment bar, there will be no need of prosecutors. No need for prosecutors. You see, at the divine judgment bar, there's no need to, quote, make a case. The case is in the mind of Almighty God. God who knows all, who sees all, who weighs all motives and circumstances. And God is fully prepared on His own to render a just and proper verdict. No prosecution needed. And and at the great judgment bar, there will be no defense attorneys. Defense attorneys often wriggle and wrangle and plead all kinds of technicalities. And often... In human justice systems, they manage to preempt justice for the guilty. But brothers and sisters, before Almighty God, every argument will evaporate. He will say, away with all the devices and reasonings of men. Away with that. No F. Lee Bailey. No Johnny Cochran, no Mark Garagos will be of any help. No defense attorneys. The Almighty will say, you, you gird up your loins like a man. For you alone must give answer to me. And listen, At that great judgment, there will be no false witnesses. None. Uh, Listen, Almighty God has no need of witnesses. He has all the facts in His immediate consciousness. He is Almighty God. And listen, if there were any witnesses, they would all be on His side. To the wicked rich man, God says through James the Apostle, your gold and your silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. James 5.3 And listen, there, there are other witnesses that the Almighty could call. 
to those wicked scribes and Pharisees who rejected him, our Savior said, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment against this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Matthew 12, 41 and 42. And oh, brethren, listen, if our God starts calling witnesses, where would it end? They'd all be on his side. He might say, as he did to ancient Israel, I call heaven and earth to witness against thee this day. Deuteronomy 4.26 There will be no false witnesses in the day of Almighty God's judgment. And all the witnesses that testify will testify on His behalf against us. And listen, on that great judgment day, there will be no jury. You see, there's no danger that God might be partial or that He might be bribed or that someone might get to Him. The patriarch Abraham asked, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And what's the answer to that question? The answer is affirmative. The judge of all the earth shall do right. Friend, if he does it, it's right. And he will not need any help or any counsel from any friend of the court to help him reach a proper verdict. The verdict will be righteous in every single case. No need of a jury. And listen... At this great judgment, there will be no postponements. In human justice systems, cases are often postponed, postponed, and postponed until the guilt has almost been forgotten. I mean, they're still arresting Nazi guards. But on that great day, there will be no postponements. Judgment will be had on that great day. And all matters before the court will be settled. And at the great judgment of God, listen, there will be no suspended sentences. You know, in human justice systems, often the guilty gets no punishment. None at all. The sentence is just, oh, we give this sentence, but it's suspended. I didn't really mean it. (laughs) But in accordance with true justice, the divine sentence rendered will be executed forthwith. No suspended sentences. And listen, at that great judgment, the judgment of God, from that great judgment there will be no appeals. No appeals, for there are no possible grounds For any appeal against the Almighty. 
The question is, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer is, yes, he shall. He shall do right ever, only, always. Appeal denied. And at this great judgment, there will be no parolees. The judgment of God is final, irrevocable, and unchangeable. And at this final judgment, there will be no pardons. Friend, if you want a pardon, you better get it now. You better get it now. In human justice systems, the possibility of a pardon is a great remedy against the unrighteous judgments of judges and juries against the innocent. And listen, we hear almost every day about innocent men being released from prison because of modern science. DNA evidence that shows they could not possibly have been the one who committed that crime. And a gross miscarriage of justice is reversed. And we should rejoice in that, friend. And the not guilty is set free. But Almighty God, listen, (laughs) will render no unrighteous verdicts. And there will be no need, no need of any pardon. The judgment of God will be decisive, eternal, final, irrevocable. The judgment of God will stand. Now listen, beloved saints of God, do you see how definitive and how just will be the judgment of God, especially when compared to puny human justice systems? It's going to be perfect, friend. What a great and terrible day that will be. What a great and terrible day. Now listen, Christian brother, Christian sister, the good news, the great news, the grand news for you and for me is that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has already borne our judgment for us. Even before Jesus died for us, the old prophet Isaiah prophesied of Him and about what He would do for us. This is from Isaiah chapter 53. Listen. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. And for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. 
Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 12. And and brethren, listen, all the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospel writers quote from that passage and apply it to what Jesus, our Savior, has done for us. We know what it means. The Apostle Philip applied that text to Jesus Christ. When he, preached to the gospel, when he preached the gospel to that Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. Even Peter, in his first letter, applies Isaiah's prophecy to what Christ has done for us. Listen, our God has taken our judgment for us. And so we can rejoice with the great apostle and say, There is therefore now no condemnation. For them who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 No condemnation, friend. No condemnation. Beloved, listen. The judgment of God is coming. It is as sure as it can be. Listen, it is certain. So let us praise our Savior, for He has borne the iniquities of us all. Bill Hank Williams recorded an old hymn, and its theology is not perfect. But I want you to hear the lyrics. It's called The Great Judgment Morning. Listen. I dreamed that the Great Judgment Morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. I dreamed that the nations had gathered to judgment before the white throne. From the throne came a light, a bright shining angel. He stood on the land and the sea and he swore with his hand raised to heaven that time was no longer to be. And oh, what a weeping and wailing as the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. The rich man was there, but his money had melted and vanished away. A pauper, he stood in the judgment. His debts were too heavy to pay. The great man was there, but his greatness, when death came, was left far behind. The angel that opened the records not a trace of his greatness could find. And oh, what a weeping and wailing as the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, 
But their prayer was too late. The widow was there with the orphans. God heard and remembered their cries. No sorrow in heaven forever. God wiped all the tears from their eyes. The gambler was there and the drunkard and the man that sold them the drink with the people who gave them the license. Together in hell they did sink. And oh, what a weeping and wailing is the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. The moral man came to the judgment, but self-righteous rags would not do. The men who had crucified Jesus had passed off as moral men too. The soul that had put off salvation, not tonight, I'll get saved by and by. No time now to think of religion. At last they had found time to die. And oh, what a weeping and wailing as the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for bearing our iniquities. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. O Holy Father, dread Sovereign, great and glorious is Your name. Under Your dominion, kings and queens reign. Nations and peoples rise and fall at Your command. We tremble before You in awe and adoration, for You are worthy of all worship. Thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. Thank You for redemption through His blood, even for the forgiveness of sin. Thank You for Your declaration that we are just and righteous before You because of what He has done for us. Thank You for putting our sins behind Your back and for setting a good path before us. Oh, help us to walk in Your way and to treasure Your presence and Your protection. Help us this day to remember the great sacrifice of our Savior and remembering, help us to worship. Oh, let our praises rise up before You as incense this day. May the praises of Your people bring You pleasure, Holy Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.